0: Sales Tuners, episode 97. Sam Hay, account executive at
1: Costello. I think I put like one elbow right on my knee and the other one, my hand on my knee. So I'm kind of in like a three-point stance in my chair. And as I'm ringing every ring, I think that call probably lasted like 10 minutes, even though they never answered.
0: This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from 1 million to more than 10 million dollars in just 2 years. It's time. It's time. It's sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Kurt Vonnegut, who said new knowledge is the most valuable commodity on earth. The more truth we have to work with, the richer we become. Joining me today is Sam Hay, account executive at Costello. I sure hope that name sounds familiar as they have been an incredible sponsor of this show for more than a year now. Sam was the first sales hire at Costello, spent the last 12 months making over 13,000 cold calls, and was recently promoted from SDR to AE. If you want tactical advice on what's working right now, you're going to get it today. Sales tuners, I've officially started my year-long trot around the globe, and I'm on a mission to study the cultural differences in the way sales are done worldwide. I'll be in England the rest of July before heading to Amsterdam and then Ukraine. I want to meet as many salespeople as possible. So if you're listening and live in one of the countries I'll be visiting, please shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. For my full itinerary, check out brownsaroundtheworld.com. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com 97. But now let's get to the conversation where Sam talks about the energy he gets from working and living in his hometown.
1: I think it's the the value of building a, a strong company here in the great city of Indianapolis, as well as some of the best team members that I can. So doing the work that I see beneficial towards that is really what motivates me at this point.
0: Sam, when we were preparing for this call, you, you mentioned or described yourself as skeptical and a very opinionated American soccer fan. Tell me what you mean by that.
1: Uh, I think uh, the proof is in the pudding, right? And we're not in the world cup here starting in the next couple of days. And I think some of the decisions they've made have been less than, less than great, uh, especially uh, on the American side, but I'm also an arsenal fan. So I think that really builds into that mantra. So I, I, I could probably have a whole podcast with you talking about that, but uh, I'll keep my, uh, my my less good my less than uh, great opinions to myself. But I, I love soccer, so I'm I'm hopeful, but I'm also skeptical.
0: Well, as you know, Fox has the broadcast rights here in the United States for the the World Cup, and with the United States not in it, they've had to scramble to try to get people interested. Have you seen any of the commercials that they're running? I have not. I have not so their main sponsor for the world cup this year is 23 and me. And so the commercials all, all tied to, you know, root for your roots. So use 23 and me, go find out who your ancestors are. And that's who you need to root for in the world cup. It's absolutely fascinating for me, but you're right. Without the United States in it, it kind of shows you the current state of uh, where uh, soccer is here in in the U.S. So uh, good stuff. I always like to have a little bit of a personal thing there. But Sam, as you know, in this show, uh, we talk about the attitudes, action and abilities that have led to your success. And I want to talk about everything that you're doing today. uh, But start by giving us a better idea of what Castello is and and why a
1: typical customer uh, decides to buy from you. really what Castella is, we're a software uh, that helps your sales team put their playbook into action across every rep. Know, so the, the way we see it and from developing this and talking with hundreds of reps almost every month, we sell to, to salespeople themselves. So a lot of people in the audience might be familiar with this, but to drive two main things in sales, it's the what and the how. And the what really includes all those important items that you need to have to happen on, an, on a successful call. So things like asking the right questions, telling relevant stories, and, and even handling objections. But on the other side, you have the how, which, which is the art of the sale, right? How we build rapport, how we adjust our tone, and how we actively listen to the prospect on the other end. And in order to be successful, we really have to have both. And if we can't even get to the what, the, then the how doesn't matter. So Costello really is... Helping sales teams find that balance between the what and the how that you both have to have on a sales call.
0: I love hearing that, and I can tell you've said it multiple times. I do have to do a quick disclaimer uh, Sam and the team at Costello, uh, they're, they've been a client of mine for gosh, almost two years now. Uh, and I am an investor in the company as well. So I do got to make sure that's out there so that nobody thinks I'm doing anything crazy. But Sam, that was a, an incredible uh, uh, description of what Costello does. And what I love about uh you guys and the product is you use it every single day and you have since day one. Now but you've only been in sales about 18 months. So tell me what what made you choose uh this career path
1: to choose this career path I, I think it really you have to really look at where I came from. So I, I played soccer for uh competitively growing up here in Indianapolis, uh, Pike High School and then I played at Olivet Nazarene, uh, a Christian school up near Chicago for a year before I decided uh that really i wanted to be back home in indianapolis so i saw the opportunity to come back to indianapolis as a, a great great chance to really have an investment into the community and i saw tech growing here as well which is kind of puts us four years down the road when i was leaving college and i think a lot of people can resonate with this my grandma would ask me hey what are you going to do after school you just spent all this money on college like what are you going to do and i would say oh i actually have no clue but you know i'm pretty good at selling stuff <laughs> So I started to develop this image in my head, that like Sam. I think you can be a salesperson. So I, you know, I, I would always tinker around on Craigslist. All my cars I've ever bought or uh, bicycles I've ever bought, I've bought on Craigslist, and I've always, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that I never take a loss on them. Like a year or two after I sold them. So I did this all the way from 16 to, you know, 20, 25 now. And so I saw myself as pretty good at uh, wheeling and dealing on there. And then I got plugged in with the sales boot camp here at TechPoint, a, a local incubator to help sales professionals, developers, and everybody really stay plugged into the community here in Indianapolis as it grows. From there, I was able to get uh, some high level sales understanding at six different companies, uh, as well as understand really what the day-to-day role was. And I, I really fell in love with the process from that point Yeah. We're going to talk a lot about that. It's,
0: you know, that TechPoint sales bootcamp that you're talking about, it's absolutely fantastic. It's an incredible program that they've set up to truly bring, as you said, you know, uh, new grads and even career changers into the world of tech. One of the biggest things that I see as a sales coach is a lot of companies, a lot of tech companies, they will disregard people who have experience outside of tech. If you haven't done tech before, you don't know the industry. And I think that's a crack of shit in my personal opinion, but I love that TechPoint has been able to set up this thing to truly help uh, integrate that and bring people over. So kudos to you for going through that. And obviously, you've had some some crazy success um, as you've done it. So you mentioned you were the first hire. Obviously, you were very early. The name of the company was even different. But first hire, only rep, no background, 13,000 cold calls over the last 12 months, making those cold calls in front of the CEO. Sam, how'd you do it?
1: I think it starts with a level of trust and understanding that even if I get on the phone, you know, I'm not going to one, insult anybody, or two, do anything crazy. So I think it really started with just kind of leathering my skin and understanding that first of all, and also that if I get denied on a cold call in front of our CEO and uh, all the developers that we had on the team, you know, it might earn me a little bit of respect here and there. Right? Like I I don't see them making cold calls. Now, Frank would actually make cold calls with me, which was really enticing as well. So I wasn't like a, a one-man shop just carrying the load. I had... Uh, buy-in from the C-suite as well, which is is crucial, I think, to anybody if as they go to potentially look to be a first employee or a first salesperson somewhere. You really have to have the buy-in um, to understand your day-to-day role. And, and Frank was really good at uh, carrying me along with that. Now, it wasn't just the first day that I went in there and had good cold calls, let me tell you that much right now. And I probably still don't have great ones today, but uh, it, it was exciting. Uh, it was also nerve-wracking. We had a lot of fun with it. I think Charlie, our VP of engineering, still comes in and Tries to listen to me cold call because he's a little envious that uh, I don't give him any leads anymore. So that's
0: a, that's awesome. I, uh, I I'm going to push back on you a little bit. I know, sure, we all make mistakes on cold calls, but I've listened to enough of your calls to know that you've been doing a truly great job. But I want to ask you this. do you remember your first dial at Costello? I think
1: so. I do. I do. I don't know. I don't know the name specifically, but I could. I can. I can tell you the feeling that I felt when I hit that number. I definitely didn't leave a voicemail. And I know as an advisor, you hate for me to say that, but I definitely did not leave a voicemail. And it was one of those things where I think I was crouched over. I had like one, you know, for context, I sat at a desk and my desk backed up to our CEO, Frank's and we're about three feet uh, away on each side. And, you know, I put my headset on and I'm logged into Sales Loft, which has made this job incredibly easier. Uh, And I logged into Sales Loft and I think I put like one elbow right on my knee and the other one, my hand on my knee. So I'm kind of in like a three point stance in my chair. And, uh, you know, as I'm ringing every ring, I think that call probably lasted like 10 minutes, even though they never answered. Right. So it felt like super long, but after that it was, uh, it was kind of downhill from there, but I think it, it was those first 10 seconds that felt like forever for me.
0: Absolutely. So I want to take it a step further. Do you remember the first person that, that picked up?
1: I do. I do. Tell me about that. Yeah. I think his name was actually Brian. Uh, I don't remember what organization was was he with, and I won't share his last name just in case he's one of your your viewers. And in that case, I'm sorry, Brian, because because <laughs> I think I'm I mumbled through it and I, I he said a couple of things wrong. And he said, "Hey, did I catch you at a bad time?" He's like, "Well, yeah, it's a bad time. It's a sales call." And, and at that time, I wasn't you know veteran enough to understand that. Well, that's actually not a terrible response to hear at the top of a call. Uh, all opinions aside on whether or not saying "Did I catch you at a bad time?" is appropriate for a call, but. Um, at that point, it was it was downhill from there. And, and he saved me a lot. Early on, they can sense it. Right? The salespeople know what you're doing. So I had the luxury of selling to salespeople. So if I was getting a call way off track, it, it almost felt like they were throwing me a lifeline. And, and leaning into that early was actually pretty valuable. Uh, and trying to replicate that later on is actually something that's a, a pretty good tactic.
0: That's something that I wanted to actually talk to you about. It's a question I've got here. You are selling a sales tool to salespeople in your very first sales role. That sounds kind of
1: intimidating. It was, I should say. I think I think you have to like who you sell to, to an extent, or you at least have to have a certain level of respect and understanding for who you sell to. So as I was, for context, the, the way I saw it was, as I was reviewing potential job opportunities coming out of school, it's like, you know, I really do see myself as a salesperson. I don't have a lot of sales experience and, you know, over the last 15 to 18 months I've been doing SDR work, but I would still consider that a sales role. And even before that, you know, serving at restaurants and bartending was something that I did. And I would consider that very much so a sales role, just very transactional and uh, a little bit more colorful to say the least. But um, having that respect and understanding was was the most important part in understanding that like, okay, hey, if I put this work in here, uh, it's going to reverberate across the career, uh, even on this call. So that that's really where I, I built that confidence up after a while. It's not as intimidating as it is. You have to be buttoned up or else they'll, uh, they'll kick you to the curb.
0: I like how you talked about that notion of them saving you or throwing you a lifeline. And uh, you said that that's because you're selling to salespeople. And, and I'm going to disagree with that. Uh, I feel like almost every call I've ever made and, and kind of started to mess up and, and every call that I've listened to from one of the reps that I coached that they started to mess up more often than not. The prospect they're talking to has tried to help them. I remember very vividly um, uh, a gal that I was working with. She called the CMO of a Fortune 100 company. Did not expect to get her on the phone at all. And when the 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 CMO picked up, she was just kind of startled. She's like, "Uh, uh, I uh didn't expect uh, you to pick up the phone." And it was funny because the CMO, she kind of like she laughed a little bit. She chuckled and she said, "Okay, well, I did. And it sounds like this is probably a sales call. What do you got for me? And just kind of like coached her through it and like let her her do it. And and it's crazy. Like we have this notion in our head or, or we have this mental frame that everybody is against us. No one wants to to help us. And it's just not the case. So I love the fact that you shared that you very early on and still today have people throw you that lifeline. What advice, Sam, do you have for the people who well, definitely haven't made 13,000 calls, but let's say that they're less than 100 cold calls in. What advice do you have for them right now?
1: If you look at 13,000 calls, well, I think a lot of people probably listening to this have done that earlier in their career as well. I think you have to do it in increments. It's not a just go out and rip 100 cold calls. I think understanding what you're going to say and giving yourself some sort of backstop that if you don't, hey, look, you have the confidence, you have the right to call them. You're doing business with them. The solution that you have should potentially, you know, if you really believe in it and you're at the right spot, should potentially help the person you're calling. So coming at it from the mindset of I'm not interrupting their day, I'm actually adding value to the, this conversation because look, I have, even at a hundred calls, you've probably had more internal conversations about your product than the person who's ever talked to you about it. So how long, and this is something that I've learned from you, Jim, and you say this all the time, is how often has somebody talked about Costello? And I'll just use our company, for instance, because that's the MO that I have. And I've talked about Costello even after a hundred calls, a lot more than somebody who, who's never even heard of us before. So having that confidence, I think understanding that you know, the first hundred calls and it never really gets easier. I don't think cold calling or else people would do it their full career and and those successful ones do, but understanding that you're actually adding value by potentially offering them a solution that can solve a problem for them. Well,
0: you mentioned Sam this notion of that you have the right to call them. I love how you phrase that, but what do you, what do you mean by that?
1: You're not calling and selling them something off the walls necessarily. You're calling them and solving a, a serious problem that can have ripple effects across their personal lives, their professional lives. uh, If you really believe in it, like I said, that's the key factor. But you have the right to call them and reach out to them. This is your outlet for doing it. And you'll also mix in email and and social touches and such. But I really feel like this is how business is done. And if, if you're in business, this is how we communicate.
0: This is by no means a, a plug for uh, Costello, but I do want to talk about it a little bit because you use your product every single day. Talk to me about how you use Costello without sounding like a scripted robot. How do you actually uh, it just use as a framework and get to still have that human uh, side come through and, and your tone and your voice?
1: Taking a step back and, and looking at it the way we see for context, it's Costello is not a silver bullet that's going to make every sales rep great. Right? If that existed, then I don't even know if sales reps would exist. And I see a lot of the, the AI comments where people think that's actually going to happen soon, and it might. But you still have to do the behaviors that make a sales rep great. You still have to put the calls in. You still have to come in and you still have to role play with your team. And you have to be, be coachable from the other reps and see what they're doing. And and really where Costello lives is helping you blend all that together and giving you that confidence once you get on the phone, giving you that understanding that, okay, man, this call is really going off the rails here. How can I bring it back in and make it most valuable for the prospect? So it kind of goes back to the what and how that I discussed earlier. And it's the balance between Finding that, that sense of, yes, these are the things that we have to get. Even if you're an AE and you're in a long deal cycle and you're an enterprise AE, you've probably still got to get the same information out of one prospect that you have to get out of the other. Now, While no two calls are linear and no two processes are exactly replicable as far as down to a T on timing and when questions are asked, you still have to get that information. And how you get it out is what makes you a good or, or great salesperson. Things like building trust. I I really think that early on in my career doing this for only, you know, a year and a half, two years, uh, the customers that we've built the most trust with have been our best customers and the ones that have decided to buy. So and how do we do that? Those are the how things that we were talking about, the building rapport, uh, actively actually listening and understanding what they were saying to us instead of just saying things and adjusting our tone accordingly to help build that uh, that certain level of empathy that goes in with this problem that you know a lot of people say it's just sales right like it's just sales that my reps use google docs or to follow a script or we use post-it notes or something plastered on our desk which are things that we hear all the time but in reality is it's just we're kind of all numb to it right or we've all or the industry's just been numb to the fact that uh, anytime something new comes out it's robotic or uh, AI driven when really it's just the behaviors that we do blending them with, uh, a better way to do it.
0: You said a lot of things there, Sam, that I want to try to unpack. One is you, you leaned into this notion of building trust and I'm, and I'm completely with you. And whether you're using Costello or you're using Google docs, or you're using, uh, Evernote or just a piece of paper, uh, you, you can't just write on the top of the page, build trust. So what does that mean to you and how do you, uh, do it on, on your calls?
1: Building trust is really, for me, in a business sense, I I probably build trust a little bit different with, uh, say, my girlfriend than I do with uh, a potential prospect, but it's asking the right questions, and it's asking relevant questions, and, and it goes back to the notion of telling relevant customer stories and conveying a message that uh, is relatable to the person on the other end. So, Jim, I wouldn't tell you a story about uh, a meat supplying company. I would probably tell you a story about a customer like you who was uh, a sales trainer and was implementing a sales book. So you've got to really find that level of, I don't want to say intimacy and make this sound like a, a, consulting set or a <laughs> counseling session between us, but there's a certain level of understanding uh, and trust that gets built between when if you're asking the right questions and you're getting to the point of, What's the problem of the, what's, what problem are we actually solving with this solution? Then, then you start to build trust because you're, you're solving something for them uh, and you're helping them do this inside of their organization and you're helping their whole team succeed, right? Like trustworthy people help other people.
0: So here's what I find fascinating about that. You started your answer by drawing a line in the sand between how you do this in a B2B setting versus how you do this with your girlfriend. And hopefully she doesn't listen to this show, but I will tell you the sales tactics that you're using in the B2B world, they absolutely work uh, with your your significant other as well. So asking the right questions, telling compelling stories, being relevant to her pains and her wishes and her desires, they absolutely work too. So again, hopefully she's not listening, but uh, that, that was good stuff. So Sam, I, I've absolutely had, uh, it's been a privilege to get to work with you. And I think one of the things that I admire most about you is your willingness to be coached. And I know that's something that you've said before has been a a great um, driver in your success. But talk to me about that. What is it about uh, that coachability piece that has made you successful? And how can other people learn to become more coachable?
1: Coachability really ties back into understanding like your value set and really what you're trying to accomplish. Now, if you go into do, people do jobs and they go into professional careers for lots of different reasons. And if you go into it just to kind of make a paycheck and, uh, you know, check a box and not work too hard, then you're not going to be very coachable. You're just going to go in there and kind of fill a seat. But coachability is extremely crucial in my situation, especially here at Costello, where I was coming in essentially as a blank template, right? like a blank whiteboard. If you think of a whiteboard, when when your developers are all out there killing it on a whiteboard or something like. There's no code written on that yet. So how can I give my input and how can I add value to the company if I have no understanding for where I'm going? So trying to surround myself with the people who have been successful and the people that I admire the most in my professional career, especially young entrepreneurs and other professional salespeople, I think coachability ties into your relationships as well outside of just having trainings with you or having one-on-ones with our sales organization as we've gone and scaled out now. I think it goes into your conversations in things like this. Like, do you listen to podcasts? Do you read? And what do you, not only do you do that, but what do you take away from each one of those, those conversations, or even in your personal life, I have a lot of friends here in town who are account executives, SDRs, directors of sales, things like that. And even when we're just, you know, at a bar having a beer, it's. I can learn things, right? And how can I take those and be coachable in a sense when they don't even understand that they're coaching me? So I think that's really just being an open book and, and trying to try everything and, and see what works, but you really have to test it. That's what I mean by coachability.
0: No, I, I think it's fantastic because you you hit on to me the thing that I have to see in reps unless if they're gonna be successful. And that's not only the ability to listen, but the willingness to go out and try what they heard and bring that back for additional coaching, additional uh feedback and whatnot. Because, you know, even when you do work with me, if I'm just saying something out there, it's it's theory. Until you go try it and bring it back to me, I don't know if it's gonna work. I know that it's worked for me in the past. I know it's, it's worked for other people, but I don't know if it's going to work for you with your personality type, with your product in your industry to your customer set, right? So it has to be able to come back. I want to hit Sam on this notion of community. You talked about the, all the friends you have that are uh, SDRs as well, and you got AEs and, and you've know you you've been very intentional about building your network, but talk to me about why you've seen that be so important. Like why, why, why are you spending your time there?
1: one of the things early on was that's how I got plugged into sales was my friends. you know, So a couple guys over at Sigster really introduced me to the concept of the tech boot camp and tech sales in general and really guided me towards that. And so one, I feel like I'm pretty indebted to them because they helped me open up this new career that like, I'm actually excited about coming to work every day. So that's something that I, I really try to pour into them. And as you know, they're both customers now, and as they do that, we can both help each other out in both Personal and professionalized, balancing the world of sales and the importance that I think you and I have both talked about of having fellow salespeople in your personal networks is the ups and downs, and how can you balance that, especially when you don't necessarily have a huge team, right? So, we don't, it's no secret that Costello doesn't have a huge sales organization. What value that I drive out of having salespeople in my network is being able to lean on them when months aren't so hot or hotter than others, and how can you find that balance right there in the middle? So, that's That's the value that I drive out of it. Uh, I also am just a sales guy and I sell to sales people, right? So uh, I'm nothing special, but I like having those conversations. That's what I talk about all day. And uh, (laughs) I actually don't get sick of it when I'm outside of work. So uh, selfishly, that's that's why I keep those guys around.
0: Look, I, I, you're laughing about it, but I think it's fantastic. One of the things that I tell a lot of the reps that I do work with is this notion that you need to surround yourself with the type of people who buy your product. And so for you, it is salespeople. So you spending time in the bar or coffee shops or lunches, et cetera, just shooting the shit about sales. You're hearing their pains, their problems, their, their wins, their losses. Uh, and you're hearing and learning about the business acumen. And what I mean by that word, because we, we say it a lot, what I mean by that word is that we understand the vocabulary that our target prospects use. And so by you constantly doing that, you've already said a couple of your friends have become customers. And guess what? I know that you go to like the Rainmaker event, you go to AISP and all of a sudden you're just you're creating community with people who can buy from you as well. And so even though that's not your main intent, right? I know you do, it's not your, your, your main driver or goal, but when you do that, there's this like law of reciprocity that all of a sudden after you've helped them, they're like, Sam, how, how can we help you? And even if they don't buy directly, maybe they introduce you to somebody. So uh, I think you're doing a fantastic job uh, on that end as well. You've talked to me in the past about kind of
1: having a chip on your shoulder. Talk to me about that. What is it that you're trying to prove? When I say I have a chip on my shoulder, it's that desire to want to succeed and not necessarily be, quote unquote, uh, ever considered a burnout or a failure amongst my peers, which is never a, an appeasing thing, but I think where that stems from, uh, if you're looking at it from my situation, I'm the youngest of, of four s- siblings, uh, all of which had uh, college degrees. A, you know, one's an attorney, one's a dietitian, and they're pretty successful people. And so I, I took a step back at myself when I was in the middle of college, and you know, I was ha- I was having a good time, and I, I did pretty well in school, but I wasn't a great student. I wasn't nowhere near as smart as any of them. Uh, But I understood that I could talk to people. And so I guess that kind of led into sales. But uh, having a chip on your shoulder isn't competing in my sense with my siblings. I think it's a desire to be great with myself uh, and be able to look back 10 years from now, five years from now, heck, even 30 years from now and say, hey, man, you know, you really put in the work. Like I never want to look back and think I didn't put in the work or I didn't do certain things right. And I think looking back at my soccer career, as well as uh, my collegiate, like just scholastic studies, there were some times that I think I could have put in more work and studied longer in the library. Uh, and that's not a feeling that's necessarily great. So uh, I'm trying to develop that as we as we speak and as I develop who I want to be inside of my career. So really, when I say chip on my shoulder, it's just proven to myself and, and that I can be great and not really letting any of those roadblocks get in the way, like things that I can control.
0: Well, you are starting to see the success. You were recently promoted to uh, full cycle AE. Talk to me about what the biggest difference is uh, that you've seen so far in that switch from SDR to AE.
1: Organization, uh, really, for me, especially on the call. So understanding timing a lot better understanding how I can get all this information. And then it's really much more tactical, in my opinion, uh, just at a high level uh, so far. Now, uh, I'm by no means a great AE yet, but uh, you know I think the behaviors that we're taking can potentially build towards that and understanding the breakdown of a call and when to add certain nonverbal cues. And, and all, there's just a whole new host of things to learn and it's been exciting. But uh, the biggest difference for me is Focusing on organization, especially uh, when following up uh, and when setting, setting firm next steps at the end of the call. And I mentioned organization on the call, especially like time management, understanding where I'm at in the call, where I stand. And if we're at the end, like, let's not let this we, we've probably made progress while I might not have had all the answers. Or questions answered that I need to have answered. Like, let's make sure this is this keeps going. Like, I don't want time to kill this deal. So, uh, focusing on some of those good habits early as I start to take some of those full level discovery calls um, is, is crucial for me, and that's one of the things that I'm I'm severely focused on right now. So I'm
0: interested in this because as you said, you are in the midst of learning it right now. So when you talk about Sam, the, the organization on the call, meaning the timing of things, talk to me more about that. Like, how do you and maybe even it's, it's with how you use Costello, but how are you plotting out that first discovery call?
1: I think it's situational depending on how the lead got to us, how much context we have going into the the meeting. You know, we can only prepare so much. And I I think we're big fans of preparing for conversations and calls here and understanding business drivers and needs before we jump on the call. But once you're actually on the call, things can get derailed fast. You know, and it's not like we sell a, a super high-level enterprise technical product where we have six months to do discovery, right? We've got a, a few 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 calls to do this and so understanding that i can't spend 15 minutes just talking about one aspect i you know there's a lot more that i have to learn about that and not rushing through it but understanding time management on a call is really what i'm uh, i'm referring to as far as organization just understanding that okay we've got this this leads into that once we get there how can i see around a corner so that once we get to the end of the call let's sum it all up and, and let's make sure that the next time we come we're organized and we know that we might not need to necessarily cover off on some of these items because we've already captured them.
0: Well, I want to tie this back to being an SDR for you know, the last year, uh, 13,000 cold calls. I know you've faced many objections tying this into being an AE. Now you're talking about potentially being derailed. What advice do you have, Sam, for, for overcoming objections? How do you handle them? What's the biggest piece of advice you have for people out there?
1: We like to use customer stories a lot. We like to tell a customer story as an objection in a sense, right? Like, hey, if somebody tells us, uh, I'll just use, for example, if somebody tells us, oh, you know, I, we have a bunch of veteran reps, right? Then we might go into a customer story about how one of our customers actually also had a bunch of veteran reps and, and the benefit they saw with that. Now, I won't turn this into a sales call, but uh, one of the. One of the things that I think your your listeners could get out of that is we read a book uh, not too long ago and, and we reviewed it as a team that I think was really turning point for us on both the SDR and the AE side uh, called Sell with a Story. And it really helped to break down how we have current customer stories and how we can then uh, explain those to customers in a way that was pretty tactical and helped us really change how we thought about objections. Whereas they're not just blanket responses you give back, but they're, you can really dig deeper onto those objections that they're giving you and like those were potentially pain points. So that's one book or one suggestion that I would give a lot of young salespeople to read for sure.
0: I know that when you guys are reading that, Frank made me read it as well. And I think it's great. Another one that I'll throw out there just because you mentioned it is StoryBrand. Uh, and if you just read that, there's lots of videos online. It's the same concept, but oh, I'm sorry, not the same. It's a similar concept, but kind of their point of differentiation is how do you make your customer the hero in the story instead of yourself? Because a lot of times as we go to bring a solution, we think that we're the hero, we're coming to save them. And you don't want that. You want to make them the hero. But how it, what, what I really like about this even more so is... As you're positioning the product, not only do you make your prospect the hero, you show them how their prospects become the hero in their story. So it's just a fascinating thing. Sam, I know I could spend the rest of the day talking to you. We've spent plenty of time talking in the past, but I've got to take a quick break so I can say thank you to our sponsors and your employer. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcastello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Sam, are you ready for the money round? I am born ready. Born ready, a la Indiana Pacers, a la Lance Stevenson. I love it. Here we go. What's the one thing, Sam, that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional?
1: I think coachability uh, and the hunger to be better than I am today. And then coming in tomorrow and being proud of the work that I did yesterday.
0: If you were to go back way long ago to 18 months ago and start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Prospecting,
1: definitely. Uh, getting on the phone early and often.
0: Got a two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? Uh,
1: I love uh, I love winning, uh, but definitely I think that ties into my hate for losing. So I guess I'm going to do a twofer on that one and say both. But I really hate to lose. I think they go hand in hand, right? If you love to win, then there's a driver behind you that hates to lose. There's a, there's a there's a, there's, a, there's an emotion evoked when you win and when you lose you don't have that and it's really it's really mad. I, I guess if you're making me pick one or the other, I definitely hate to lose uh, specifically because you know it, it in, in some senses, if you can control why you lost, then you, then you're, you feel disappointed in yourself. And uh, if you can't control the loss, then that's a different thing. And if you fought, fought, fought as hard as you could, that's, that's another situation. But yeah, not a good loser. You
0: mentioned sell with the story earlier, but what's a book you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending
1: to others? Yeah, non-sales related. I really like No Easy Day. Uh, it's the autobiography of the Navy SEAL, uh, or one of them, the firsthand accounts of on the mission that killed Osama bin Laden by Mark Owen. I, I really thought that was just fascinating the entire way through.
0: Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Sam's suggestion of No Easy Day for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for No Easy Day. I've read it a couple of times. I absolutely love it and highly recommend you guys go check it out as well. Sam, what's currently at the top of your bucket list?
1: I would really like to go to Antarctica someday. I think that'd be really cool. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? setting daily goals and how you can break that down every single day and get to a place that you're not in now and where you want to be. And I think that's crucially important. And that's been something that I'll tie into your first question. I think setting daily goals is super important, whether it's how many calls you make, Uh, how many pages you read in a book, I I think that that's been the best way for me to to transform.
0: I've admired Sam ever since the very first time I met him. He's truly one of those guys that is going to put it in the work. If you want to get in touch with Sam, it may be easiest to go to andcostello.com, where he's the voice behind their DriftBot, and he's certainly open for a chat. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, set daily goals. I know most of you that listen to this show are the type that set a really big vision for your year. Unfortunately, it's too hard to see that far into the future. Break down the annual goal and know exactly what goes into it. What do you have to accomplish this quarter? What about this month? What about this week? What about today? The more incremental your goal is, the better chance you have of iterating on what works and achieving the overarching metrics. The last thing you want is to get too far down the road and realize you have no chance of success. Number two, you have the right to call prospects. Unless you're day one at your company, the reality is you've had more conversations about your product and solution than any of your prospects. What does that mean? It means you have the right to call and reach out to prospects you believe have the problem your company solves. I believe if your offering truly does solve that problem you're calling about, not only do you have the right, you also have the duty to help them. Number three, let prospects save you. This is one of my favorite tactics in sales, from cold calls all the way through the sales cycle into negotiation. The notion of intentionally playing dumb can work to your advantage. Notice, I did not say, be dumb. I said, play dumb. Even when I know the answer to questions, I will find a way to ask it. Even going so far as to say, help me out here. What does X mean? Or how does Y happen? Your prospects will save you, if you let them. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at sales tuners or shoot me an email, Jim at sales I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts.
1: And they stay there! And they-